Well, I believe this is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Raul Hernandez Ochoa. Raul, welcome back. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to have you back on. Raul is the author of Productive Profits. He is the host of the Do Good Work podcast. He's serving bootstrap business owners, helping them reach their impact and revenue goals. And he's helping to transform marketing agencies into high profit agencies. Raul, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, why you do what you do. Well, man, last time I was here, uh, my son wasn't born, but now I have a little one running around. So he's the owner of Downstairs. Let's just put it that way. It's Gabriel's kingdom. Uh, When I'm not working, I'm either trying to surf, uh, going out there and do my best or chasing my son around or walking uh, with the family and our golden retriever. And she is fun and crazy and 75 pounds. So I keep it pretty simple, man. I listen to books while I work. I mean, while I walk and when I'm not working, I'm just doing one of those couple things. So... That's uh, I guess that's what I do. What I do, being able to control the day and be able to uh, spend time as see my son grow. And that is, is that what most everybody wants? Not to watch your son grow and play with your dog, but to watch their own kids grow <laughs> and play with their dogs. They can, they can take the dog if you're listening to this. But um, no, I think that's it. Everyone wants the health. Everyone wants the family relationships. They want to be prosperous. Like the whole, the whole five basic areas, right? So it's finding and aligning your work to achieve that, but then also maximize the the impact that you can make or the, the skill that you're endowed with. How do you produce that and give to the marketplace? And wanting that and actually achieving it, how, how hard is that? I was on a recent pod and uh, he mentioned, yeah, it's like a 10-year overnight success story. So it, this would mark the 10th year of me trying to start businesses, <laughs> right? So in 2013, 2012, failing a ton. And uh, from 2015, 16, trying to wake up at 2 or 3, 4 a.m. every day and then going to my 9 to 5 uh, to break through. So it's I'm still a work in progress. I mean, I've, I've done cool stuff, but I don't think I'm done. And it it's definitely a commitment. Yeah. It is a story of 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 commitment, What is what is what is the starting point of that story? Is it setting the intention? Is it figuring out what you want your day to look like? Is it figuring out what the impact is? It's all these things. It's none of them. Interesting. So I think in the it begins with the intention of what do you want and answering that question in regards to what type of business do you want to build? I do this with productive profits as well with business owners. And some of them either want to build something so they can exit in the next five to 10 years or five to eight years, or build something that's more of a lifestyle business where it just uh, aligns to their day. There are no calls during the week, a couple, you know, a good revenue coming through. So you first start, what do you want and why do you want that? Uh, But the key thing to keep in mind is that your journey matters uh, when you're designing this, because you can design any type of business, any type of output, but, the destination that you want, like if you want to exit, but your journey sucks because you're working 14, 16 hour days, your health is being like taken from you. You're not spending time with the one that you love and you're doing that quote unquote sacrifice for the long-term gain. <clears throat> that could be beneficial, but I firmly believe that the journey itself, you should optimize for every single day. How do you enjoy every single day for where you want to get to? Because the journey determines the destination. And sometimes we think that the destination determines the journey, but it's actually the other way around. That makes sense to me. Um, and I don't know that that's just because I've, I'm have i now 44 years old and I've actually been 
working in business for the amount of time or just that my perspective has changed. Um, do most people get that? Do most people, how, how, how do you think about that? I think, uh, I mean, this might be too simplistic, but if you look at it from human personalities or the types of assessments that we can take, I mean, you, DISC is the most classic in the business world. You have your dominance, you have your analytical, you have your supporters and you have your promoters. So maybe it could align differently depending on what your personality is and how you approach the world and how you want to impact the world. Um, I do know there are some common characteristics that need to be in you as you go out and make things happen. You can't just expect things to happen or wait for things to happen. So there's there's that ebb and flow. Yeah. And talking about bootstrap business owners, people that are, you know, they're 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 starting something up from scratch without a lot of probably so essentially no outside funding, but they've got maybe a little bit of money or or they're just taking everything that they're earning and putting it back into their business. Is there a particular kind of a business that is a good fit for that? Is it any kind of a business? And how are how how, how is technology fitting in? That's maybe too big of a question, but maybe it's a pretty good question. Um, <laughs> well, I think I mean there there's different scales, different gradients of where you where you grow. For example, like on the agency side, I've mapped out specifically the type of revenue they are at between 120,000 a year to 5 million plus a year and the exact issues you're going to face. This was from my just my experience, the exact issues and solutions you're going to face. So similarly with a bootstrap founder, you're going to go through different classical phases. The beginning is focusing strictly on sales and marketing, primarily to get that revenue coming through. Then you build the team, then you build the organizational systems, and then you build your leadership. Now, there are classical issues that entrepreneurs always face because at the top, uh, and again, this is small business, like one to five to six million plus businesses. Um, at the top, it's always leadership issues. And when it comes to a leadership issue, that actually is pointing the finger back at you. Because as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, the team or the company is a reflection of your of your personality. It's a reflection of your habits. So if you want the team or the company to get better, you personally have to be better. And that takes certain self-restraints, certain disciplines, certain habits, certain focus areas for you to make sure that you're not well-rounded just for yourself and your family, but they're also able to serve at the higher level where a business does actually extract that from you. You have to be better. So not just showing up for your family and not just having like whatever fits an idea of like a work-life balance, but also improving how you're showing up and building your business, working with your employees. Mm -hmm. And also knowing around the types of personalities that you manage, knowing your way around words. Um, I, I, created a framework called uh, the five pillars of heroic leadership. And it's just like a simple framework where leaders can understand one, that they set the cadence or they set the stage of everything, how they show up, how they talk, how they treat others, because others will mimic you when you do that, how to take uh, data-driven decisions, but then also work with a sanity check, either a person within the group of your leaders or outside of your leadership group to give you that sanity check. Am I making the best decision? Um, the third pillar is all around making sure that you know the weight of your words. And then you also know how the team is, the framework that the team works in is actually all by design. So if there's something wrong inherently with the team, it's because it was designed that way and it can be changed. Uh, but the other uh, 
four and five, like the flywheel is all around how you show up, how you behave, how you design the outputs of the team. Because at some point, it's not going to be that you just hire someone, you tell them what to do, they go do it. How do you get that motivation within them for them to want to create new ideas for you and still go do their best work beside, like, beside you? You find that as a business is 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 growing, like you you talked about, I forget what the what the lower threshold of five million is, and then up from there, up from there, are there up, up from there, mm-hmm. there are challenges in each one of those, and these five pillars of heroic leadership are they pretty universal at at each level, or where where do people typically get stuck? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think that regardless of business revenue, humans are all are I'm not gonna say all equal in the sense of like the human intrinsic value, yes, but like I'm talking about the um, the way that when we work with humans, it's principle based. So it's not really gonna change regardless of the revenue size that you have. Obviously, you might be able to hire better talent when you have more revenue. And at the top, or when you're re- reaching a higher level revenue your number one goal is attracting the best talent and keeping that talent because they have options. They have options to leave for you. They have options to start their own thing and they're in high demand. And that is uh, a very interesting, I would say, um, an interesting dance per se of how do you not only attract them, how do you nurture them? How do you help them grow? Uh, and there's always a few things that high-performing people always want. They want growth opportunities. They want to feel important. They want to know that they're making a difference. They don't want to be told what to do. They want to have an environment where they can tell you what's going to happen, but it's still within the parameters and it's still within the organizational growth goals. Um, so there, it's an ebb and flow, but as you get to that level, um, again, iron sharpens iron. You have to become better in order to lead that kind of person. It's pretty fun though. That makes a ton of sense, and it it sounds it sounds like it's it's almost like a dance between as I'm growing my business as the CEO, owner, entrepreneur. One of my goals potentially could be to do a little bit less and bring on really high quality people, and at the same time making sure that I am doing everything that I need to to be giving these people everything that they need. So I'm not needing to be there 24-7, but I'm also not an absentee leader. No, absolutely. Every single team member needs the empowerment of what to do, how to do it, and the space to do what they need to do. And there is a... You might be thinking uh, as you as you hear this that you know you're doing this with your team. You want to step back a little bit and you want to focus on big other projects or other things that are passionate for you. There is... I'm not sure how to define this just yet. This could be something that we can create a framework around as I talk to different leaders, but there is a threshold where you might leave too soon and it actually collapses without you. And when do you know you've reached that threshold where it's safe for you to start backing out a little bit at a time, 10% here, 20% there. Um, Obviously there's some systematic things that you need to have in place, like the, the operating system of the business running correctly, your sales tuning correctly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I've seen it where you'd step away too soon and then you come back 12 months later and like, this isn't my company. What happens in my company? Yeah. And I think that we've probably all at some point been aware of an organization or worked with an organization where that has been the case. 
So mm-hmm. people need to know what to do. They need to know how to do it, and they need the space to be able to do it. And I think that that is a a really universal and valuable. Those are three really universal and valuable things to keep in mind and make sure that have I trained the people to do what it is they need to do? Am I really clear in what my expectations are? And am I giving them the autonomy to be able to execute in the way that they see fit based on the parameters that I've shared with them? 100%. And there's even three levels above that that you can focus on. It's more on the softer side is, are you optimistic in your conversations with them? Do they see themselves in the future? Do you have empathy with them? A lot of people desire a safe space to work. They desire uh, to feel comfortable sharing vulnerabilities. I mean, obviously there's there's a line, but being comfortable with that. And they're also, they want to be encouraged. Um, I mean, I could probably show the research and the studies around how positivity is a better fit for humans than negativity. Um, but it's not just around just being positive and being fake. It's all around how can this I help this person shine in their skill sets to the best of their ability if they're open to it. Optimism, empathy, encouragement. So that really that really is next level. That's anybody's capable of doing that as a leader, mm-hmm. but you need to really step into that. And I it, you personally, not you, but the leader, you need to make sure you have the competency to be able to do these things and you have the confidence to be able to have these conversations and then you do you, do you think that it should be scheduled how to have these kinds of interactions? Is it serendipitous, some of it, a little bit of both? I think the one thing that I've found, because even seeing myself leading um, quite a bit, hundreds of people online digitally, it's you become almost a coach and you find your own cadence with each team members. I remember I was responsible for leading a, a revenue team uh, in-house and helping them grow, and I would do asynchronous, you know, updates to the team, then one-on-ones, how can I support you uh, asynchronously, either through voice memos or usually just voice memos, but then getting on very specific calls once a month and how is your career? How can I help you? What are you growing in? And that is heavy lifting work because that's outside of executing what you need to get done that day. That is outside of initiatives. That is long-term horizon thinking, personal development with an individual, and there has to be trusts on both sides. So if you're a leader coming into an organization and you're taking over or you're moved to a different department and it's a brand new team, or you're hiring a fresh new talent and a fresh new team, you have to start planting the seeds because the thing is, um, you know, the time is going to pass anyways. Either you're going to plant the seeds now and nurture and grow or three months, six months, 12 months, a year, three years pass by and you haven't planted the season, you're still in the same spot. So it's, it's there is there are choices to that. Yeah, I think that that makes a ton of sense. And so as you are progressing along the different stages of your business growth and you do actually start hiring, you need to, it's prudent, wise, smart to be thinking about everything we've been talking about on the front end when you're actually hiring and you put that system in place because you're going to be the person that is the direct report probably. But when mm-hmm. you have 10 people and then 20, then 30, and then 40, and 50, you have not, you're not probably going to be the person who is the direct report for all these people, but then the manager is and so on and so forth. So you, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So there, there has to be an operating system. So there's two components to this. 
Uh, one, it's a, a remote operating system, or at least for me, because I only work remote. So I kind of designed what that would look like. So we can talk about that structure. But I think it's more important too to, to, to nail in the different phases of your people's strategy at different revenue levels. I think in the beginning, and this is agnostic of industry, what the way the way I built this was for high profit agencies, but this is still agnostic. In the beginning, when you're hiring and you're hiring when you're making less than a million in revenue, you're hiring to fill a specific role. That's your that's your people strategy. I need to get my time back or I need to fill this specific role. Let me go and hire and get it. As you start moving up the chain in revenue size and in growth, you start hiring based on either the values that you have as a company, either as the missions or the goals that you want to achieve or at the core standard. And your and your um, people strategy goes around hiring for a role, getting my time back, hiring for specific talent, hiring for someone who can be able to lead a team and manage or even be better than I am. I've worked with founders who are afraid to hire specific positions because they're afraid that they don't know how to manage that person because they're more knowledgeable in that core function that they are. That's perfectly fine. Um, I think that, again, if, if a company is limited to your personality or is a reflection of who you are, then if you only hire people who you know exactly what they can do and they don't bring new things to the table, you are the, the rate limiting factor. And so it's something to keep in mind um, as, as you grow and as you scale. But you start hiring for different reasons, for experience, for partnership, for mindset, for leadership, uh, but it all ties back to where you're at in that growth trajectory. I think that that makes a ton of sense. I, I appreciate you clarifying that. If, if you're not able to or confident enough to hire somebody because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you feel threatened or you're not comfortable hiring because you don't think you can manage them, won't that really, won't that potentially stall your growth? Gap your potential. Oh, yeah. yeah, that you're you're the one that's not allowing for growth because of that. I mean, it will we'll call it what it is. It's an insecurity. And if you're experiencing that, that's okay, but it's not okay for the long term, depending on the mission that your company actually achieves. Are the people going to be left out because of it? Your team, do they actually need someone with higher caliber? But the cool thing is, um, I mean, they always say if you're the smartest person in the room, leave that room. If you're the smartest person in your company, like you're literally wanting to be hold the atlas on your back and have everything pressure on you. Why would you do that? Hire people who are better than you for a specific function who can execute. And when you do that, you look like a genius because they broke through a wall that you couldn't do it and they did it with your direction. And is that part of what you were talking about when we started the conversation about having somebody around you that can be a sounding board, accountability partner, kind of a relationship? Absolutely. Someone who can either see the business from an outsider's perspective, a trusted colleague, a mentor, a coach. Um, it, it just matters that you're not limiting yourself by your by your view to see the objective reality of what's going on around you. Because we all have blind spots. Oh, yeah. It's hard to see the mountain when you're standing on it. Right. It's a good one. And I, I also like can't see the label of the jar when you're inside of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel that all the time, man. <laughs> thousand percent nice well i uh i felt like i asked you some bad questions but we eventually got uh you you were smart enough to be able to uh, guide me to some really helpful <laughs> frameworks um and i think that this people strategy was really really helpful and 
the different levels of optimism and empathy and encouraging. I think that that's really important for people who are trying to build organizations and have that impact. And the earlier you can start on this stuff, the better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially in the remote workforce, in the remote world that we're in. Yeah. Raul, Raul, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? Uh, the best place is just the website, dogoodwork.io. And uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn personally, and we can chat from there. Love it. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Raul your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to dogoodwork.io and track Raul down on LinkedIn as well. And connect with them and have a conversation to find out if the frameworks and the approaches that we've been talking about can help you and your business get to where you want to go and have the impact and the revenue that you're interested in having. Thanks again, Raul. Thank you, George. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.